Hello, I'm Clive Farrington, original member of When in Rome UK, and my Desert Island disc is the first Roxy Music album, simply called Roxy Music. From the first track to the last, it's so uh, just a beautiful journey of brilliant songwriting. Um, Brian Ferry wrote all the songs. Um, Andy Mackay, sax player, Phil Manzanera, guitar, Paul Thompson on drums, every one of them fantastic musicians. The cover of the album is brilliant as well. You know, the, the whole concept of the album, it's on EG Records. And obviously EG at the time were very into packaging things uh, really nicely. So it's a, a gatefold sleeve. It's got a picture of the band on the inside. It's got a, a picture of a beautiful woman on the front. Um, and it's my favourite album of all time. Engage Sessions. The NSR Media Network presents Sessions, bringing you behind the scenes and into the lives of your favorite music artists. And now, here's your host, Barry Davis. Along with Tom Forth, we are here once again. We'll talk a little music with you over the next hour or so, and uh, we've got a treat for our listeners this week. A very special song that made... A lot of people very happy, including yourself. Yep. The Promise from When in Rome and the lead singer from that band, Clive Farrington, will join us here this week on Sessions. We also have a lot of music talk coming up, including a Desert Island disc. But when we kick off this week's show, we're going to talk about another legend gone too soon. There's Tom Forth on Barry Davis, and this is Sessions. Tom, while every kind of parody of the kid going into the guitar store is playing either Crazy Train or Iron Man or Smoke on the Water, Stairway to Heaven, let's face it, if you're a young guitarist from the mid-70s till maybe even today, you want to play guitar like Eddie Van Halen. There was no doubt about it. I mean, this was the cream of the crop for guitarists. And I want to ask you, as someone who's a little more accomplished on the guitar than I am, (laughs) what Eddie Van Halen did throughout his career has been duplicated by many, right? There are hundreds and thousands of guitarists out there that can play Van Halen note for note, right? There are many phenomenal guitarists out there who can play as well as or better than Eddie Van Halen. Mm -hmm. I have an idea in my mind why I think that what he did was so special, even though everyone can duplicate it. Why do you think that Eddie Van Halen is up here, even though there's hundreds of thousands of young guitarists that can play his stuff note for note? Because he was a a force that changed the world. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's that simple. Yeah. Nobody had ever, I mean, you know, people had kind of goofed around, like tapping, fret tapping is what he's known for and, you know, making really, really popular. And people have been kind of goofing with it for years, but nobody had ever turned it into just that wall of sound that 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 Van Halen did when he came out with Eruption. And, you know, it it, it blew the doors off of, much like Hendrix had a few years earlier, it blew the doors off of what people thought was possible. Mm-hmm. And so all the amazing players today, and I've, I've seen videos online of you know eight-year-olds playing Eruption flawlessly. But they didn't write it. And to me, well, that's, that's the, the difference. They're all just standing on his shoulders. Right? Eddie wrote yep. this. Eddie came up with this and was able to... He showed us all the way. He showed us all the way. Bingo. And while Eddie is known more for the wailing he can do on electric guitar, mm-hmm. he, he's written some, not a lot, there weren't a lot of acoustic pieces on any Van Halen albums, but there were a few that were absolutely beautiful. And there was, you know, usually they were just like little one-minute interludes leading into another song, right? Yep. But Eddie could play the guitar. Uh, he was just, he was able to add so much melody to the music. And when you think about it, 
you take the lead singer out of the equation, whether it be David Lee Roth. Well, Sammy played some guitar, but in the early days with David mm-hmm. Lee Roth, it's it's virtually a three-piece band with a singer. Yep. And if you listen to that first album, there are very, very few overdubs. What you're hearing is just the three of them raw just playing the songs. And that's, to me, really a sign of, of a, a great band of musicians that you can fill that much space with just three instruments. Yeah, I, all of them. I mean, you know, Michael Anthony is a bass player. Oh, he Very he underrated. Is, he's probably my favorite, like, hard rock bass player. But I think that brings up another point, and, and again, a point about how special Van Halen was, is when you look to classify what he did, you know, we're talking about all these people on the fret tapping, the Steve Vai's mm-hmm. and the Joe Satriani's that came later. But have you ever stopped and thought about like what genre Van Halen is? You know, it's so funny because uh, a good friend of uh, my old radio show, Jim Byers, big travel guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He tweeted, maybe it's because I'm not into heavy metal, but I can't name one Van Halen song. Yeah. And I, I had to take a shot because I'm like, Van Come Halen's on. not metal. First of all, they're not a heavy metal band. No. Nope. They are... I would call them heavy pop. I don't know what they are. That's they, that's the right? amazing thing. They they're Van Halen. Yeah. You know what? You know what I think they are. How I describe it is, they're they're a genre buster. It doesn't matter what type mm. of music you like. It's a good point. There is something in tra- like he's ta- he tapped in to you know. There's there's such bluesy licks. Like when I listen to Van Halen, that's what I hear. Yeah. I hear blues. And I hear amazing, the fastest blues mm-hmm. you know that, that's out there. But that's kind of what pops out to me is is the is where it's coming from is the blues. But you can't you can't pigeonhole it. And I think it's I think that actually says something really big about how good they were. Absolutely. Over the years, of course, you're going to have moments where guys don't get along, and you know the David Lee Roth story <laughs> was well documented. And after the 1984 album that featured Jump. Uh, David decided he wanted to, you know, be a big star. Mm-hmm. And the the Van Halen brothers were not the easiest guys in the world to work with. <laughs> and I, I'm not basing this on personal experience. I'm basing this on a number of books I've read. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are a fan of Van Halen, I highly recommend reading the Sammy Hagar book, Red. That thing? Wow. <laughs> wow. But while they did get to back together with David... And toured with him, and did a, you know did another album with David, and all that. Um, the relationship between Sammy, Michael Anthony, and the Van Halen brothers was fractured to the point where I didn't know if it was ever going to to get back, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it ever did. I do know that Sammy made several attempts over the last several years to reach out to Eddie via email, via text, and never heard back. Mm-hmm. Yet, despite all that, uh, the day after Eddie passed away, both Sammy Hagar and Michael Anthony put out this video and had this to say about Eddie. After the unfortunate thing that happened with Eddie Van Halen yesterday, which was for Mike and I, was just like getting hit by a freaking Mack truck. Ooh, kind of took the wind out of the sails for this sail. It, it, it makes it, I mean, for being such a occasion that we wanted to promote here it made it very bittersweet i just want to say that i'm just i'm kind of devastated uh for the we could think how we get to do it again tomorrow i tell you a van halen song never felt so hard to sing and play in my life it was hard it was it's very surreal right now and it hasn't sunk in yet well what i felt playing especially a song like right now that's so timeless that i felt wow thank god for this you know what i mean it's like we'll never play with Eddie, but thank God for this. Got well, we music. have we have the music. The music you know, will live forever, I mean, and if nothing else, I'll... you know what? That's that's so well said. And first of all, I'm really thrilled that you know at least they have some peace, Michael Anthony and, and Sammy Hagar. That there is some peace there. That they're not like, you know, and and I'm not saying you know you know the way it is, Tom. Mm-hmm. When somebody dies, no matter what you think about them. When they die, there's always wonderful things said. Yeah. You can tell, and I think a lot of people can tell, when that is fabricated and when that is heartfelt. And if you watch that video with Alec, uh, with uh, Michael Anthony and Sammy Hagar, I think it was heartfelt. I don't think they just said it for the sake of saying it. 
I mean, they toured the world together. They they changed the musical landscape. Yeah. For for everybody, and so yeah, there's got to be some hard feelings there. I, yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there about the Van Halen brothers, and you know, obviously, there's a bit of a track record of some hurt feelings left in their way. Yeah. But I mean, there's also that amazing music. So, you know, do our do our musical heroes have to be perfect people? Nobody and, is. No, and is right? it, uh, that's none of what, us are perfect. We are all flawed. And I love Sammy Hagar picking it up right away. Yeah. And you know what? Bygones be bygones. There's more important things. We're left with great music. Let's yeah. just leave it at that. So let's not canonize them. We don't have to talk about how, you know, right? You know, but look, Eddie Van Halen lived a very hard life. Mm-hmm. And you, they, as they say, you live hard, you die hard. As saddened as I am about Eddie passing, I can't say I'm surprised. He'd been ill for quite a while. And, you know, and it's unfortunate that lifestyle, that rock and roll lifestyle. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Eddie when uh, Clive joins us. But mm-hmm. rock and roll lifestyle is not really conducive to long, healthy lives, unless you're, of course, Keith Richards, who <laughs> will outlive <laughs> everybody. Yeah. You know, that guy's going to live to be 110. Marginally better than an NFL lineman for right. life expectancy, but yeah. but only marginally. You know that old joke that if the world ever came to an end or was it blown up by a nuclear bomb, the only thing left would be cockroaches and Keith Richards. Yep, yep. And he'd probably be eating the cockroaches. He'd be fine. He'd be right, you know, exactly. drinking some whiskey. <laughs> but yeah, Eddie, uh, Eddie had a very, very difficult uh, life when it came to uh, drug abuse and alcoholism. And of course, he had a... The, Beautiful wife, one of the girls that I was probably crushing on first in my life, Valerie Bertinelli, <laughs> when she was a teenager and I was a little boy. But, um, you know, he had everything. And he also yeah. got the wonderful opportunity in the later years of his life to be on stage playing Van Halen music with his son. Yeah, And I yeah. saw them with Wolfgang. And, and I'm, I'll be the first to admit, Wolfgang's a, a great musician. But without Michael Anthony, that's not Van Halen. And so it was a little bit different for me. But as a father, I can totally feel what that must have been like for Eddie to be on stage with Wolfgang. Oh, man, I can't even imagine that. It, I, I think of it from the son's perspective. Like, imagine if Eddie Van Halen was your dad. Oh, man. And he was like, hey, son, let's yeah. go out and play for 50,000 people. Yeah. Don't miss a note. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> in fact, Wolfgang who, who broke the news on his social media. It wasn't the newspapers. I, I, I much rather have a story break from the actual source yeah. than news agencies picking it up. Yeah, I never got... I mean, news agencies, they want to... Everybody wants to be the first to break a story, yeah. right? Like, what does it matter? I Believe me. It's, it's, I lived through that for so many years. Yeah, it, and I would love to see, now that social media is so vibrant in the world, I'd love to see athletes break news that they've been traded or they've signed somewhere instead of having some scribe do it. You well, know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, heck, our media both in Canada and the U.S. is doing a really good job of of kind of pumping up the tires on going a separate way and not yeah. using the media anymore. Well, that's it. <laughs> uh, getting back to Eddie, I think one of the most interesting things about Eddie, and if you if you haven't read up or, or known the story of, of Van Halen, this is going to be news that you had no idea of, but for many who people who have, you will know. Eddie Van Halen and his brother Alex grew up very much involved in music. Their father was was a musician. I think he played the clarinet, if I'm not mistaken. When Eddie and Alex first started playing together, Eddie was the drummer and Alex was the guitarist. Mm-hmm. And this went on for quite a while until they decided to swap. And what an incredible swap that turned out to be, right? I'm not saying that they wouldn't have been great had they stuck to the instruments they were in. But when you're talking a virtuoso guitarist... No, when you look at how it turned out. How it turned out. Yeah. And the one thing I will say about Van Halen, I've always been a huge, huge fan of Van Halen. I've seen him with Sammy. I've seen him with David. I have sat way back. I've sat close up. But the one thing about about Van Halen that I, I loved was, A, they knew how to put a hook in a song, mm-hmm. right? B... The harmonies were always incredible. Yep. Right? Yeah. And to me, I, and you know, you always go down that whole Sammy versus David mm-hmm. argument. I don't want to get into that. To me, it's two bands. 
it's Van Halen with Roth and Van Halen with Sammy. Yep. Both great bands. Yep. Both bands had incredible songs, but you can't compare the two singers because they were so different. Uh, one of them is one of the best singers, rock singers in the world, and one of them is the best Bingo. rock frontman in the world. Bingo. And it's okay for both of them to be what they are. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the other thing about Van Halen, and getting back to Eddie being a guitarist and, and Alex being the drummer, you know it's Van Halen, even if you don't know the song, as soon as you hear Alex hit that snare drum. You just know it. Yeah, he, he, yeah. Very unique sound. You know it's Van Halen as soon as you hear a little bit of a guitar. It's Van Halen. Very distinct sound, very unique, and, of course, copied so much. Yeah, but that was the great thing, right? Because you know, it didn't matter what genre of music you're playing, mm-hmm. there was stuff in there that you could lift and you could take. Absolutely. So, yeah. It's, you know, the one thing that always stuck out to me about Van Halen tunes, too, is they're always happy. And, and every time you see them playing, and, and you can just close your eyes and you just know there's, like, some really happy people. Just, you know, when he was flying on the guitar like mm-hmm. that, it's one thing to be that good and, you know, to be that high level of a virtuoso. But to just watch him, he's just having fun. Yeah. He's goofing around. That's the impression that he, he, he gave. And, and even when he physically couldn't do what he used to do, mm-hmm. he still did what he could you know what i mean like yeah. and he yeah he always looked like he was having a blast on stage now i'm sure the jack daniels was a big part of it <laughs> right i mean for some i think they were probably the band that made jack daniels the cool thing for rock stars to do i mean for goodness sakes michael anthony had a bass guitar that was a jack daniels bottle you know the shape of it there was always jack daniels bottles on their amplifiers and if you watch old videos you see them they are loaded on stage mm-hmm. guzzling out of these jack daniels bottles there was a story that when eddie and alex's father was on his deathbed he had both eddie and alex by his side and looked at alex in, in particular and to both of them really said boys you need to stop drinking because this is why i'm dying right now and eddie boom he went clean right away Alex went out and got drunk. <laughs> Alex never really did curb the alcohol. Yeah. But yet, here he is still kicking, <laughs> and his brother's gone, right? Mm-hmm. So, That's how life works out yeah. sometimes. But if, if you don't know a lot about Van Halen, and you know, depending on your genre of music, and if you're listening to this program to hear uh, Clive Farrington from When in Rome, you may not know a lot about Van Halen. You may not be a huge fan, but to me, and I think you said it best, it's a genre crasher or whatever yeah. you call it. Yeah, because, genre buster. Yeah, because <laughs> you you can hear uh, stuff on uh, on the easier listening rock stations. You hear it on the heavy metal stations. You heard it on the pop stations. Pepsi commercials. Yeah, and let's not forget. And again, something that not a lot of people maybe they didn't know twenty years ago. Maybe more people know now that Eddie Van Halen is also the one who supplies the guitar solo in Michael Jackson's "Beat It." Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it at the time when the song came out. But then when I heard about it years later, I'm like, how do you not know that? It's so clearly Eddie Van Halen. Yep. And and it's one of those. I can't remember when I found out. But, yeah, it was one of those. It's funny. Nowadays, when a song comes out, you know, if you want to look behind the scenes of it, it's, it's real easy. Mm-hmm. But I don't even know when it became public knowledge that he had played it. Yeah. Like, if they released it and... It, I, yeah, is it written on the album cover? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So, well, um, and to answer somebody's question, I don't know who it was. Uh, no, I will not now be putting together a Van Halen tribute band. Because everybody <laughs> seems to think that it's like, you know, Tom Petty's passed away and I'm in the Tom Petty tribute. And then do the Cars tribute and Rick Ocastic passes away that I'm going to now... So you got to... No, but then you've got to wait for either Sammy Hagar or David Lee Roth. Well, to kick it. here's the thing. I could never sing like Sammy Hagar. Gary Sharon? No. <laughs> that was a, yeah. That's the forgotten year of Van Halen. Although I know people who bought that a album. A lot of people love Van Halen 3. Yeah. And you know what? I, I actually just saw a great program about that. It was a strained time. But Sharon, like. You saw a. a, a yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a special on, I can't remember what YouTube channel it was okay. on. But it went into Gary Sharon's time with, with Van Halen yeah. and Van Halen 3 and the tour that they did. Mm. And. 
Sharon is still friends with Mike Anthony, but he hasn't talked to either of the Van Halen brothers in a while. But he does not have, he very, very specifically does not have the negative things mm-hmm. to say about them that a lot of people Well, do. he wasn't there a very long time. Yeah. For those who aren't aware, uh, Gary Sharon was the lead singer of the band Extreme, mm-hmm. who came out in the late 80s. And when the uh, Van Halen boys were in between Sammy and David, they picked him up, yeah. did an album with him, did a tour with him, and then they went, no, 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 this ain't going to work. And it was when they actually put together a Greatest Hits package that they got, they had like three different Greatest Hits packages. Mm -hmm. But on one of them, they got a song that Sammy did and a song that David did. And But they never repaired that relationship with Sammy and ended up going back out on the road. Sammy wanted to do a, a show where he comes out and sings all his stuff, David comes out and sings all his stuff, and then at the end they come together. And I think oh, they man. did that. They there was may have been a time when they did that briefly, but of course nobody could get along. Mm. I would have loved to have seen that. Oh, I would have. Oh, oh, how right? How I would. Although have. David Lee Roth <laughs> singing live is not a lot of fun. <laughs> Honest to God, it, it just just YouTube David Lee Roth live, and you'll hear what I mean. He cannot sing. Is that his? Has he never been able to sing or? live? Never. Every time I've seen him. Oh wow! Right. I mean, he just kind of will talk through the songs mm-hmm. a lot, and he'll sing a few parts here and there. But if you want to hear anywhere close to the melody that the vocal had, you're not going to hear that from David Lee Roth. <laughs> yeah, man has not aged very well either. Yeah, that's the other. Thing. I saw a picture yeah. of him the other day, and he just does not look good. You know, so Sammy's looking all right. Sammy looks great. Yeah. Oh God. The guy lives in Hawaii. How much more chill can you get? I actually ate at his restaurant. He has a restaurant at the uh, airport in Oahu. Uh And it's just got surfboards and guitars all over the walls. I've drank his tequila. Oh, yeah. Cabo Wabo. Yeah. Oh, yes. (laughs) I'm going to go listen to some Van Halen later. But first of all, let's head off on a desert island disc. OTP Sessions presents another Desert Island Disc. Hi, I'm Alan through Glass Tiger, and my Desert Island Disc would be Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, simply put, there's uh, nothing can touch the Beatles for me. Everything I've ever, um, ever created uh, musically is inspired by what Lennon and McCartney uh, created. Uh, long before I did and I just think that Sgt. Pepper's uh, that sort of it was the first sort of conceptual album and I was a young boy at the time and uh, it just captured my heart and my mind and my imagination and it stands the test of time it's as brilliant today as it was the day it was put out As is the band, when in Rome, are wonderful. See what I did there? That was lovely. Yeah, get a little, little bit of Ron Burgundy in there. When in Rome, 
<laughs> so, of course, this song, just an international huge, huge success. And it became even bigger when it was seen in a movie. And I got to tell you, I was very late to the Napoleon Dynamite party. <laughs> there was a Napoleon Dynamite party? There was a Napoleon Dynamite party when everyone realized that, oh, this is a great cult movie and you need to... You've seen it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Well, the premise, it just didn't do anything for me. But I watched it. And then I went, oh, this is actually pretty funny. Actually, I think it took a second viewing for me to kind of go, okay, this is pretty funny. Yeah, I never gave it a second viewing. <laughs> no. Will you? Ever? I didn't mind. Yeah, yeah, I would. I, I don't remember hating it. Right. Um, it wasn't like, yeah, it was like one of those quirky movies. Like, you know, the one that kind of reminds me of is Juno. Oh, yes. That was another one of those yep. quirky movies about a cool, like, yes. offbeat kid, right? Mm -hmm. Juno, I really liked. Right. Napoleon Dynamite, yeah, it was all right. Okay. The reason we're talking about Napoleon Dynamite is because that song, The Promise, was heard in that movie, mm -hmm. and it became a huge, huge hit, but it also became a huge, huge bit of controversy, as you'll hear as we're joined by one of the founding members of When in Rome, Clive Farrington. Your California accent is coming through loud and clear. Can you hear the... the uh, it's, it's a weird one, because it's kind of cross, yeah. crossed with Manchester, UK, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, are you originally from Manchester? Is that your, your home? I am, yes, but South Manchester, which is not quite... We have a bit of rivalry with the the real Manchester people, the people like the Smiths and uh, all the bands that came from Manchester proper. We were more South Manchester, hence the fact that we're, we're never really named on any list of Manchester bands. So uh, I, I kind of... Um, think that as a, a I, I thought think of that as an achievement as it were <laughs> well all the Manchester bands and you, you've got South Manchester to yourself then right exactly it's all yours yeah, we're the only famous South Manchester band yeah all the South Manchester bands heard you guys break out and they were like forget it pack it up we're going to move up north of Manchester where the bands aren't so good <laughs> so let's take well, it's weird because uh, there's... sorry mate I was no, just going to say there's bands like the the cult and stuff, they're, they're actually from a place called Wigan. They're not really a Manchester band. They're, they're outside. So we're, we're classed the same, I guess, um, somewhere in the same region as the cult. Did you ever meet Ian Asbury? No, I haven't. I would love to. And, and Billy Duffy's right from next door where I'm yeah. from. So uh, I've never met any, any of those lot where I would have loved to have done. I've, I've not, and I've not seen them live, but I believe they're very, very good live. Oh, yeah. I, I just have heard that. Ian's a, a little bit out there, man. Like he's, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, like all of like all those musicians. Well, of course, right? It's it's all part of being brilliant. Oh, right. Well, I ever always remember. I always remember George Harrison saying that during Beatlemania, that the whole world went crazy and they blamed it on us. Right? It's like, no, no, you guys are nuts, not us. Right? Like we're the only sane yeah, ones here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the show because you're doing a virtual show and it is uh, a cause that is very near and dear to us, specifically Tom, who is a major advocate for suicide prevention. Uh, tell us about the yep. show and how people can find out and watch it. It's going to be next Thursday at 8 p.m. EST. I guess that's the same time for you in Toronto, is it? Uh, yes. Yeah, so eight, yeah, Eastern Standard. This yep. is actually airing on Tuesday the 13th. So we're talking... Sorry. So be the 15th yeah, of October? Get, yeah. Yes, on okay. the Thursday, the 15th of October, yes. Um, and it's uh, it, it's going to be streamed live on Facebook uh, and on YouTube. So there's a lot of work gone into this, apart from actually editing the video and getting it all together. And it, it's actually, um, it, it, it's, um, there's a lot of work gone into actually allowing us to put to get it to stream it on facebook because of the new rules and everything else yeah you have to have the record company blessing and everything else so we have to go through all of that so thankfully we got it all passed and it's going to be uh aired um at that time 8, 8 p.m edt um on thursday the 15th of october so, Clive, if you could tell us a little bit about the charity uh, that this concert is supporting. I understand it's, it's uh, is it the National Suicide Prevention Society? It's the, uh, well, when we, were pl when we played in Canada, we, we, um, when we played with Ed at uh, the Classic Bowl, uh, mm -hmm. that was um, the support of um, the Canadian Society for Suicide Pre Prevention. Mm -hmm. This one is the association or the foundation of American Suicide Prevention. So it's the American uh, side of it. I, I guess they're all linked together eventually, mm -hmm. but 
This one is specifically for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, and the reason why we chose it is because, of course, we musicians, we're, you know, we're, we're very prone to being down and up and down. And uh, sometimes we, we, we've kind of thrown um, things that are not necessary to do with music. For instance, I, I went through this whole thing with uh, an ex-member and, and I was being taken to court and everything else. And it kind of piled up on me a little bit. So I got a little bit down on it. Mm. Um so, uh, you know, never had the, uh, you know, thoughts of uh, suicide or anything like that. But I've always been interested in know knowing why it is that uh, actors and musicians and because uh, we've lost a, a, a lot of very, very young people because of suicide that, that are in the entertainment business. And mm -hmm. um, there's obviously a common thread there. And I think it's um, that part where you're, you're either doing it. If you're an actor, you're, you're, you're very, very busy for six weeks. Uh, and then you're not doing anything for six months. So, and, and of course, the time we're in right now, uh, I mean, I did say on an interview earlier on today that, you know, and I'm sure you'll agree with me that at this time, um, I think we're going to see a lot more suicide um, yeah. cases or mental health problems um, because of what's going on, which is nothing, it's nobody's fault, of course, but we have to make sure that we, we, we get the best, um, you know, best for anybody that's in that kind of trouble yeah you bring up a really good point in that you know the on again off again lifestyle and that's something yeah. that you know barry and i also do a podcast where we talk to a lot of baseball players and you know, you'd think of, yeah. of a baseball player as having a completely different outlook from a mental health perspective as a musician um but yeah. they tend to say that exact same thing. A lot of them is when their career ends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unlike most people who retire at the age of, you know, 65, 70, when you're a professional athlete, yeah. your career is probably done before you're 35. And then all of a sudden, you've got nothing, right? And that's all you've Absolutely. ever done. And it's so hard Absolutely. to adjust. So whether it's, you know, an yeah. athlete or a musician or anyone who is going through a major change from what you're doing it can be really really difficult and again you know tom here is someone that we almost lost way too young due to suicide but you know thankfully you were able to you know to find yeah. an answer tom yeah i was able i was connected to help yeah um and and so that's that, the, the way forward and I, I think that was the the, the main reason for us to uh, put this thing together and i think that the sooner you can get some help unfortunately and, and i it, I don't know whether it's the same in Canada or or, or, uh, or America, but in the UK, it was very difficult for me to find any help when I was feeling a little bit depressed. Yeah. Um, you know, unless you break your leg or you you you, <laughs> you, you chop your own ear off or whatever, you're not going to get seen to. Um, uh, because, you know, it's very difficult to put what, what you're feeling across to other people because, you know, maybe those people that you're talking to... Um, don't really know what you're thinking, if you like. Um, so, so it's very, very difficult. And I'm sure it is in Canada. I'm sure it is in America. You can't just walk into a, an emergency room and say, by the way, I'm not feeling very well. I feel like I've broken something because they're looking for a physical problem. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's very difficult to actually know what people are, are, are got going on. In and, what, and what really pointed it out to both Andrew and I was the fact that Anthony, Anthony we're big, big fans of Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, and, oh, um, man, and so is Tom. Tom, yeah, was, Tom yeah. is a former restaurant manager. So uh, I remember you. You said this that one hit you. I, so I met hard. I met Anthony in New York. Um, you know, it's funny yeah. you speaking about misdiagnosis at the hospital. Um, I was working restaurants eighty hours a week, and and I had a nervous breakdown, and I went to the hospital. Yeah, and my my heart rate yeah. was like one hundred and forty beats per minute, and so they thought there was something wrong with my heart, and they hooked me up to all these machines. And the second they figured out it was a psychological problem, they sent me home. Right. Oh, you're fine. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it was six months to be connected yeah. with a psychiatrist. And I didn't actually get real help until, you know, my depression had become critical and I had become suicidal, acutely suicidal. And, and yeah. then I w went into the hospital and actually really started learning about my disease for the first time and how wrong everything I had been doing was. But, but it yeah. really, you know, it stems from that. Yeah. That first time I went into the hospital, the second they found out it wasn't a physical problem on my way. And, uh, wow. you know, yeah. Things are getting a lot better. That's a few years ago here in Canada. I I, I know, especially the hospital actually that, that I was at and that I work with and I still do a charity walk for, 
you know, they're kind of leading yep. the way in, in treating people better, but we've got a long way to go. And, you know, it's not just hospitals that are leading the way. It's amazing initiatives uh, like this concert as yeah. well. And kudos to you, Clive. Yep. I mean, for you guys bringing awareness, because to me, the number one thing that we need to do is is make people aware, make people not feel ashamed, not hide from it, but to be able to openly yep. talk about it. If you can't openly talk yep. about it, people aren't going to know you're you're struggling, right? Absolutely. I, I, I noticed I was watching the news this morning as the new rapper guy called Logic. And I think he was talking. I, I didn't really I didn't watch it, but I saw the introduction to it. And he he was talking about um, the, the the problems that he was having. And, 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 and they were saying it's great that he's actually come forward. He's, he's made it very public the way he's been feeling. And I think that's the way forward, isn't it? To, to be honest about it. And, and um, you know, if you are feeling down, there's plenty of people to talk to your best friends, you know, your mum and dad your parents, you know, I'm very, very lucky because when I was going through a little bit of that patch, you know, not, I didn't get anywhere near you, Tom, and I, I really, really um, <laughs> applaud you for coming through all that and, and, and finding stuff to do. But yeah. um, you have to have a support system. You have to have your family around. And I'm very, very lucky. I'm, I'm, I'm 63 now. And my mum and dad are 92 and 93. Wow. And I was home when I, yeah, and, and I was home, it was about five years ago when I was, going through this thing and uh, I was with them. So thankfully, um, you know, talking to them and them being by my side, it, it just helped me a great deal. Um, but, uh, you, you know, you get these things like Antony Bourdain that you think that he's the strongest man in the world and he comes across as being this very, very confident guy. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he, he couldn't find it within himself to say, I'm fit, you know, he must have been thinking, I'm too strong for this. I don't want to talk to anybody about it. So, you know, it, yeah. unfortunately we lost him and, uh, and and that really hit home for me. Clive, when you think back at the whole situation of what happened, um, you know, that led you to this, does it still bring back ma bad memories when you think about the situation or do you, are you able to talk about it freely now and, and kind of be okay? Uh, maybe not with what, transpired but with how you were able to deal with it and i i know a lot of people that are listening know exactly the story uh, of what of what yeah. happened uh many people may not so i mean it's up to you whether you want to share it but um and again <laughs> if, if it makes you yeah. if, if it's going to drive you down a rabbit hole you don't want to go down i totally understand no i think i think i think i think the easiest thing for uh, to to answer the easiest way to answer that question is that you know, I think I learned a whole lot from it. In fact, it was me that put myself. I wasn't taken into hospital or anything else. It was me that uh, that see or sought the help, uh, and uh, I came through it. Thankfully, I came through it. And the doctor that saw me straight away he says, you, "You're going to be fine. We'll we'll give you on a regimen of uh, medication," um, and and it obviously worked. And um, so I came through it and I feel a lot better for it. And of course I do get the odd uh, flashback. I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't really I didn't no, like no. it at all. But 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 um, I, I get the flashback and I think, yeah, I'm not going there again. There's no way. And and I, I think a lot of it is psychological. Of course, medication helps and I'm not on it anymore and I wean myself off uh, the medication. So mm. um, I, I think it's all within us. Uh, to 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 make ourselves strong, without without the need for any kind of medication. And I think yeah. for me, I mean, right now, I, I think a lot of it is being being occupied. Because if you're not occupied doing stuff, you've got more time to think about stupid stuff. You know? <laughs> and you know, it, the real hard thing too is, I mean, I mean, you were you were stabbed in the back by somebody you thought you trusted, right? To to put it simply. Right. Well, kind of, kind of, yeah, kind of, that was a lot of the stuff that was going on. I was, you know, being taken to court every, every other week, if you like. And, um, I, I'd never been to court myself before. And, 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 and of course all of that came on top. And at the same time I was, I was breaking up with a girlfriend and stuff. So it was kind of, it was a, a the perfect storm yeah. for making me feel the way I did. Cause um, I was, I was thinking, uh, sorry to interrupt. Sorry. I was thinking about the passing of Eddie Van Halen this past week. Yeah. And how yeah. Sammy Hagar tried and tried and tried to reach out to Eddie to make amends, and they never did. And it's it's sad it's that they weren't able to kind of reconnect and put the past aside and kind of do it. 
it, like, is there any any part of you that wants to be able to put the past aside? I'd love to. Yeah. You know what? I'd love to. And, I, you know, uh, I, I think it, all of this stemmed from the fact that we were we, – I recorded an album with Andrew and Michael, our, our keyboard player of the time. Um, and we were like brothers. I stayed with Michael for a, a while. You know, we, we shared a, a – when we were recording down in London, we still lived in Manchester. So we kind of shared accommodation while we were recording the album. So we became like brothers. And the reason that we, we split up as a band – uh, it was that we were not getting on anymore, you know, like you do with brothers when you're too close with each other and you're, you're living in the same place, you're in the same studio, you're with each other 24 hours of the day near enough. And um, it, it, we, we kind of started getting on each other's um, nerves, I guess, and um, not seeing eye to eye on ideas and, and everything else. So Andrew and I decided to um, part ways. And unfortunately, um, it ended up as... Uh, me being taken to court um, for, simply for calling ourselves by our original name. And, uh, they, you know, that's only a small part. I'm not blaming all of the stuff that I was feeling at the time on, on that. It was, uh, there was a lot, as I said, it was the perfect storm, but that didn't help. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I read a number of articles about, I guess, the feud. And the one thing that struck me was uh, the one article I read with, uh, and I believe his last name's Nuttall. You gave him a, a secondary last name, but his original last name is Nuttall, right? The keyboard player. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, and I, you know what? I, that, at that time, I think you know. I'm going to be very honest with you. I was, I was so, uh, I was so annoyed with what was going on that I was not being the, the best person I can be, and I, I, I apologize for all of that. And I wrote a book called Confessions of a One Hit Wonder, which, which is very tongue in cheek. And the mistake I made is I actually named him in the book and I, I, I just explained that I'd actually, uh, I brought him into the band before we were actually named when in Rome, I brought him into the band. Um, and, um, it, it, you know, I, I said, you know, that we, we maybe need to, you know, if you're going to be in this band, we maybe need to look at a stage name. And uh, I suggested the Floreal thing. But I, I'm, I really am not. I don't have any qualms about that at all. And I, I do apologize that I actually called him. His real name is Michael, uh, Michael Florial to right. me right now. And I called out, out of some kind of spite, which I regret. Um, I, I called mm -hmm. him by his uh, original name. And you know what? It, you know, it's not, I mean, I know you feel bad about it. I mean, but it's not new to, especially in the music industry. I mean, you think of Lennon and McCartney writing hate songs about each other. You think of Fleetwood Mac Writing Fleetwood these... Mac on stage, on playing, stage. It, playing it out on stage. Yeah, right? I mean, you know, and uh, another one is Gene loves Jezebel. You know, two twin brothers that don't speak to each right. other anymore. Well, you Oasis, know, it's, it's... right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, that that interview that I read in particular, where you did use his name, I mean, you were responding to an interview that he'd given. I believe there was a lawsuit about the royalties for uh, the Promise for Napoleon Dynamite, yeah. and yeah. He had just given an interview talking about how important the lyrics in that song were. Yeah. So I, it was I, Andrew and I that wrote the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the same time that the lawsuit was going. So, you know, definitely, you know, we can't all be perfect and, and frustration mounts, but I can see why that, you know, that may have happened. Yeah. And I, you know, like I said, I, you know, I, I, I wish I'd not responded so much and I wish it wasn't um, so. Um, I mean, the thing is, it is my livelihood. I, I, you know, you, you know, mm -hmm. as a young kid, of course, I dreamed of being successful, and you know, thankfully, we weren't so successful that we we completely went off. And we were older, you know, we were older at that time. Um, so I think we were more prepared for everything, and and uh, but I was never prepared for a, a an ex member to to actually. Um, take it to court and everything else for simply calling our name and and, and the, the, the most striking part about that in, and of course as i said before i hold no grudges anymore but the problem at that time was mm -hmm. that i named the band um we, we, it was a kind of a dual dual thing that was going we, we both had ideas about naming the band but uh i came up with the name of the band and then you find that it's been stolen and, and it's been trademarked and uh, it, it, it does knock you sideways. It knocks the wind out of you because it's your life's work. You know, you become mm -hmm. successful with a band called When in Rome, 
Uh, and then you have a bit of a down period because you've had a hit record and uh, you, you must know this about a lot of bands. Mm-hmm. You, you, not, Fleet, not Fleetwood Mac or any of those kind of bands because they just keep going and going because they've got m- massive amount of songs. We have we only had the one song. Uh, and I kind of, um, as I said earlier, I, I think that's a, um, I count myself as lucky as only having one hit record because I think we would have, you know, not known. We, we had a chance to see where we were and not, be pulled about all over the place and you know no, not having to tour or incessantly and we, we could kind of take it easy a little bit um but as i said it it was our life's work and we only had that one record we became successful with it and to have that uh the ability you know i had to get a proper job in between time you know when we actually decided to go our separate ways in 1991 I was working with bands like, you know, in between times, I was working with John McGee up from Public Image Limited, the guitarist, uh, Glenn Gregory from Heaven the 17. I was working with a, a, a few artists that I'd met along the way that, well, you know, we both wanted, had mutual respect for each other and we were working together. But then there was a time when, uh, obviously, we'd lost the record deal. Um, and I, I thought, to my, and my daughter was born in 1999. So I think, I'm thinking to myself, I better get a proper job. I need to get you know, to bring my daughter up properly, I need to get a proper job. So I got myself a job at a hotel and um, and I loved every minute of it. I used to get there early and leave late. I was working in events at a hotel. I was, you know, event technology manager. So I was responsible uh-huh. for all the events, for PA systems, lighting, theming rooms and everything else. So it was a really enjoyable job. And then, of course, I get a phone call in 2003 from our, um, from Michael, who's now living in Dallas and he says they want to use the uh, the song in Napoleon Dynamite, uh, a film that's coming up called Napoleon Dynamite. And little did we know how big that was going to be. And of course we, we didn't know, we'd never had our music used in a film before. And uh, 2004 comes along, it wins best film of the MTV film of the year, it wins Sundance Film Festival and it wins everything. And it, it's a cult classic now. Um, and nobody knew that was going to happen. And unfortunately, we were 5,000 miles away when all this stuff was happening. And uh, Michael was in a position to actually deal with it over here. in Because uh, after he contacted me in 2003 and we'd done the deal and it came out, I'd never heard from Michael again. And then somebody pointed out that he'd gone for the trademark. And so he'd only gone for the trademark after the success of the movie, which was a bit, for me, it took took the wind out of my sails a little bit. Uh, it didn't really give us a chance to be able to, as the two main vocalists in the band, Andrew and I, it didn't give us a chance to, you know, there was no agent saying, where's Clive and, and Andrew? Uh, I think they just took it upon uh, Michael's word that we'd retired and we didn't want to do it anymore. And um, yeah, yeah, I think it was a bit of a, you know, for want of a better word, it was a bit of a bandwagon jump, I think. Yeah. Well, thankfully, you guys are back out and you're performing again. And people are now yeah. realizing who it is that is responsible for this great song. And, you know, I, I've talked to many artists that have been known as the quote-unquote one-hit wonders. And everyone I ask, it, it always seems to be the exact same answer. And that is, you know, when we started writing songs, you, you always have that dream of having a hit song. Would you like to have yeah. 30 hit songs? Yeah. But if it was a choice <laughs> of, you know, 20 songs that, you know, maybe charted, maybe didn't chart, you know or one song that everyone's going to remember, they take the one song that everyone's going to remember. And I know, Tom, you, you when I told you that we were going to be talking oh, yeah. to Clive, you had a specific story about The Promise, and maybe you could share it with, with Clive, because I'm sure he loves to hear this kind of stuff. Yeah, Clive, this is a real... I've been... My, my wife and I have been together well over 20 years now. We were high school sweethearts. And uh, one of the, the most vivid memories... You, the Promise was the third song we played at our wedding... It wasn't the first song that we danced to, but it was wow. it was in the top. <laughs> Fantastic. But, but you know, one of the most vivid memories. Uh, every time that song came on, when we were in our twenties, don't actually. get dirty here. No, nah, I won't get dirty. I won't go crazy. Keep, keep I'm going to keep it on the dance floor. I'm going to keep it on the dance okay. floor. Okay. But, uh, but that. I've got a story, about, but I don't think we can say. <laughs> <that. laughs> well, that that song would come on, and wherever we were in the club, we would find each other, and and we would have an awful great time, oh. twining away to that it. tune. Do you ever so. get tired of hearing? people come up to you and tell you stories no, about never. that song never never it's a, I, in fact I, I i'm quite an emotional person so i kind of um you know when people come up to me after a a show 
and say that it helped them through a problem. It helped them through a drink or drug plot problem and they'd split up with their wife and they got back together and the song helped them with that. It's the most fantastic feeling in, in the world. I think it's more than actually writing a pop song. It's writing a, it's it, it's writing um, some kind of, uh, I, I, I can't think of a word to, but, to do, but it's obviously. Mm. Something that, that strong, can be that special to people. Yeah, and it's always very, very special to, to hear stories like yours, Tom. It's 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 always very special to us. It, it, we're not we're not complacent and thinking that you know we've just written this little pop song and it's you know it it became a hit. We do realise that the song um, does resonate with people, and I think the reason why it resonates with people is because it was written from the heart, obviously. Because I none of us sat down and wrote this song. We didn't write any lyrics down before we'd actually recorded it. I I I actually sang the first verse and the chorus directly to tape when when I uh, when we played the backing oh, that's track. That's crazy. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So so the, so those lyrics came straight out of my head, and I'm I'm quite lazy in that. I thought, well, these these are quite nice lyrics. These so. I, I passed it on to Andrew then. I passed the baton on to Andrew uh, to write the second verse. So, And that's exactly how we sang it as well. Um, I, I sang the first verse and the chorus, and Andrew sang his second verse, which he'd written. So, and that's how the way we wrote with all of the other songs, Heaven Knows, Wide Wide Sea, all of those songs, uh, we take it in turns to write, to, to sing our own lyrics. Clive, was there a point, in, either in the writing process or after the song was recorded, that you and Andrew kind of looked at each other and said, well, we've got something really special here. Yeah. And I mean, weirdly enough, Andrew wasn't with us at the time because that was a perfect storm because as we'd formed this band, my mum and dad had been to see this band called Rictic and um, recommended that I um, ask Mike to join my other band that I was in at the time, Bo Leisure. And, and Bo Leisure split up and he, he, uh, he came on board. Uh, and Andrew went to live in London so we were writing at my little studio in Man in South Manchester, mum and dad's house. Um, and uh, I, I think as soon as I, because Andrew wasn't involved with the, the song at that point, he became involved with it after we'd sent it down to him and asked him to write the second verse. Um, but yes, definitely. I mean, we'd never had a hit record before, uh, so we really didn't know what the feeling of a hit record was, but it was it was so weird that we... we, we I definitely did. I can't really speak for my. I, I, I can because it, I, I saw the smile on his face when we put the the, the recording down as a demo. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I definitely felt something there, and 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 people that we played the demo to were saying this is a hit record. Uh, and uh, and and the weird thing about all of this is that we then sent take down to Andrew, and Andrew we got really enthusiastic about it and went to the play. You know that the rate of you know any advice for young bands if you if you want to get a, de a record deal, hang out where the A and R guys are. You know, go and, <laughs> what, <laughs> go and find out where they they, they drink and stuff, and go and uh, mingle with them. And if you've got the tape in your pocket, all all, all the better. Oh, uh, you're showing your age. Mind. You're showing your age, Clive. Well, yeah, absolutely. Tape. You know, I mean, tape. it was it was in the days of cassette tape. <laughs> oh yeah, TDKC ninety. I remember oh, yeah. the making everything of it. Yeah, um, <laughs> and we always used to get the real quality ones because we wanted to make sure that quality. But uh, we sent the tape down to Andrew. It took a week for him to receive it by Royal Mail. Um, not like today, we can send an MP3 in seconds, but yeah. that it took him a week to receive it. And he, he couldn't wait to actually try and get a record deal on it. So he took it out on with just the fir my first verse and the chorus. And we actually got the record deal on a first verse and a chorus. And then Andrew wrote the second verse. Wow. <laughs> uh, just a, a totally different time. Yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. I don't think record deals are given, being given away on that anymore. I think, I think. Well, it's, too, it's become very. Sorry, Tom. Oh, no, no, go on. right ahead. No, no, please. I was just going to say, it's, it's uh, you know, I think it's forced music now, isn't it? We've got YouTube and we don't really know what to... It's like the, the Bruce Springsteen song, 57 Channels and Nothing On. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's... Uh, now we've got millions of channels with nothing on, you know, because what, what people are looking at is only what they want to listen to or watch. You know, they're, they're not being given any opportunity to see new acts and new the new thing. You know, 
It, mm -hmm. Whereas in back in the UK, and I'm sure you had it in Canada, we had top of the pops on a Thursday night, and we couldn't wait to get home from school um, to 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 get our tea and then sit down and watch top of the pops. It was a real highlight, and I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure that people's mindsets have not changed that much that they don't want something like that. You know, the argument all the time that that, that oh young guys now they can't be, but if they were given a program that showed the new fashion what's happening or the new new scientific breakthroughs you know and, and music involved with mm -hmm. it all i think it'd be massive again and and it's only a, a matter of doing it uh that, you know so i actually tried to do it i tried to get a gofundme thing to get a thing together and i tried to get richard blade involved with it which was going to be a live show um and talking with the audience talking with the band talking with the DJ, you know, and, and getting to the, the ins and outs of what a live show can be about. And that would be fantastic as well for people that can't actually get out yeah. of the house, you yeah. know. A live show, a live show from a club, a really, really great dance club, and, mm -hmm. and you can be involved with it. Um, it's and, and really can't do that on, you know, although I must say that this is the first for us to do this thing next Thursday, you know, a live show from mm -hmm. Manila, it's the first for, for when in Rome to do a, a full live show because we're always getting uh, comments after we've done a show. Why did you only do two songs? And and then you'll get somebody commenting, yeah, 15-minute version of The Promise and stuff like that, which we do. <laughs> Sometimes we do an extended version of The Promise because, of course, we do right, realise it was our biggest hit, but we do have other songs. Um, yeah. So this is a real opportunity for us Um to, to, to show what we can do and what we're, we, we are like live because, it's, you know, two songs doesn't really give the, the full picture of what Andrew can do on stage and, uh, and, and, and how we perform, if you like. Um, mm -hmm. So um, it, it's the closest to us to being a very, very, um, you know, in, instant live show, that, which is what we used to get. And, and, and pl places like Mexico, all, all of South America... Are, have got there at these shows. We went to Manila and they've still got a pop show. Andrew and I went on this thing with, with Peter Coyle from the Lotus Eaters, from David Sterry, uh, uh, with David Sterry from Real Life. Uh, we went on a pop show and it was exactly what I remembered. You've got a big audience there and you've got this guy jiving them up saying, you know, come on, nah, and you get, get all the crowd <laughs> participating and everything else. And it is, it's a, it's a fantastic feeling for the people that are in the crowd and for the people that are watching. And I think that's what we 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 uh, and whether that's going to come back, whether there's somebody, if it's happening in South America and everywhere else, mm -hmm. I'm sure, sure there's somebody thinking about it to do it again here, and it's going to be successful, definitely, absolutely. And if all else fails, you you've always got Perry Lefko, my good friend, as as your number one absolutely. fan. <laughs> Perry, uh, Perry, Perry has done an, yeah he's done that's all we need. He brings the bagels. I know, right? Perry's <laughs> done a great job of uh, promoting you guys. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, fantastic, and yeah, you know what? I, and and the book that he wrote was fantastic because at the same time as that, he'd written that book. My brother-in-law was going through that thing with with cancer. And, oh yeah, the the, the Eddie Olchek book. Yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah. And and uh, so I sent him a copy of that. I sent my brother-in-law a copy of oh, it. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and that's the one that you see. That there's a picture of me in the tiki hut in the back garden here, and um, I'm actually reading it. And uh, Perry Lefko keeps posting that. I was about I, to say, I think I've seen that, that on his yeah. Instagram feed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's the very book that I sent to my brother-in-law. He'd just been through a load about. He's had, he's had uh, operations on his throat, and also he had um, cancer. Of, uh, of, uh, I'm not sure the exact term of what what kind of cancer he had, but he had a lot of his throat removed and everything else. And he, he, you know, but he actually got. He has to be checked again still every six months, yeah. but thankfully he came through it. But and, and hopefully that book from, and, and I'm sure it is, any book like that, any book that's of, of help to anybody does help because cancer can be made worse with mental uh, problems. Absolutely. You know, if you're really thinking about that all the time, if you're thinking, I've got cancer, I've got cancer, I've got cancer, it's going to bring you right down. Yeah. And, and you've got a, uh, you know, what, what I think the best cure for cancer is telling somebody, you know, don't think about it. You know, it's a part of life. It's, it, you know, you know, think about other things. Try and get your mind away from it because, you know, anybody can uh, can um, can be uh, blighted with for sure. cancer. And, 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 and I think there has to be another side of rather than the gloomy side 
there has mm-hmm. to be another side to it to make feel be- people feel better. And that's one of the beautiful, magical things about music. And, you know, Tom and I are, are in a, a band together. Where we do a Cars tribute together. And, you know, making music for us, I mean, you know, it's a crappy time to be in the world right now. We can't play in front of live yeah. audiences. But, you know, Tom brings his guitar and we'll do a little jam together or we'll just, you know... You know, There's nothing like it, is there? There's, There's nothing, nothing like honestly, it. Honestly, there is. Uh, I've got a few guitars. I've got a guitar in and a piano. Well, I've got a piano in one room and I've got a guitar in every room. Mm-hmm. So if I feel like I want to just pick something up, yep. I pick a guitar up and play a few tunes, I just pick it up and I, I've got a drum kit in the studio that I can blast on if I get a little bit frustrated. It's better than a punch bag. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. Um, <laughs> As we speak, uh, as we speak, I'm surrounded by my seven guitars, and Tom can pick up any one oh. any time and just pick them up and play. Right? So. Wow! Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm doing right now? Because of course, because we've we've got plenty of time on our hands, and I'm, I'm thankfully I'm really into technology, so I'm I spend a lot of time in the studio recording and everything else. But I'm 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 not a great player of the guitar. I, I played guitar at school, but never that was at twelve years of age. They taught us. Um, the the uh, the skyboat song which was g <laughs> e and f and, and it was a very very simple chord movement um but i've never played guitar since then um but i love the sound of guitar i love the look of guitars i i, I love everything about the guitar but i um I, i've started to learn about tuning as well i did a little so i, I just thought to myself the other night is there any other way that i can tune this oh apart from the tom's ABG? the guy to talk to tom taught me <laughs> yeah, well uh, a, a, an incredible tuning the other day and i'm like oh my god you can do so much with this too what is it yeah. tom it's 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 open g tuning but i dropped the the sixth string an extra tone to a c so Fantastic. what it does is you get a really nice little two-step between like a one four chord progression so you can just kind of go gd now you've just lost or, all the sorry, non-musicians GC, GC. right uh. <laughs> it, it, no but they're the best kind of tunings because you can actually open play the open string and they sound fantastic without oh, yeah. actually Dang, doing yeah. anything with your i remember when i was <laughs> first starting to learn how to play guitar and i wanted to learn some rolling stone songs and i just could not figure out why can i not get my guitar to sound anything like what Keith Richards was playing, and it was years later that I realized, oh, shit, he's got it in all these weird tunings, right? <laughs> yes. I, I found the Nick Drake one the other day. You must know it. Do you know the Nick Drake one, Tom? Sorry? The Nick Drake if, if, song? If did, no. Yeah, there's a, sorry, it's a Nick Drake tuning. I, I When I was oh, actually oh. doing a bit of research, uh, there was one that was called the Nick Drake tuning, and uh, I actually tuned one of my guitars to that. Um, to oh, are you going to play it? Tuning it. Well, yeah, and, and I, I just yeah. if it's still in tune, I, I won't be able to go. Oh, I hear that. You hear that? So yeah. that's that's an open tuning, right? That's just open tuning, yeah. yeah. And I, I forget what it was, but I actually followed the. Uh... Well, that's gorgeous. You can do so much. Lovely, right. lovely chord, and that's, uh, that's are you just g- open strings. That Tom, are you googling Nick yeah. Drake tuning right now? So it's C G C F C E. That is an intro. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're low. Oh, you'll be on that one now. Oh yeah, that's the checks in the post. Send me the check in the post. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Deal. <laughs> hey, Clive. O- old fashioned post. It'll this take a was weeks. this was a lot <laughs> yeah. of fun. Uh, can't wait till we get over COVID so we can get you back to Toronto and we can see you again. Have you play a classic bowl and you know maybe uh, maybe we can open thank for you. you that night or something. <laughs> oh, I wish I wish you could. I tell you what, that was one of the most enjoyable. Um, weekends that we've, we've ever had on tour andrew and i because we played uh the classic but i think it was the classic bowl second wasn't we played the intimate show yes. first i think mm-hmm. that's right um uh, but, but for us to be able to do that and to the, 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 something we've never done before that was a first for us to actually sit there with uh, just a keyboard player and uh andrew and i uh singing it, it was a first for us and it was um you know, obviously, it made us very, very nervous because you want to do your very, very best. Which brings me back to a story we were talking about. Andrew and I were talking about Madonna the other day because we both saw her in uh, the Hacienda in Manchester, the famous Hacienda in Manchester. <laughs> she she did a, a showcase there, and she she was singing "Holiday," and nobody had ever heard of us, uh, her before. Andrew and I were in the audience, and she she sang on the dance floor and and uh, in between the DJ. So. Um, She's there in the middle of us 
crowd and there's people flicking beer at her and stuff and <laughs> making fun of her. And, and and I thought to myself, you know, obviously I felt sorry for this young girl singing on her own in Manchester all the way from New York. And it, it was only kind of years later that I realised that was a massively brilliant move by her and very brave move by her to be able to go to a club that she'd never been to before, a place that she'd never been to before, to a club that she'd never been to before and, and uh, that was a very, very famous club. It was probably the most famous club in Europe in, in the 90s and Madonna decided or management decided that it was a good idea for her to travel all that way to to do a little showcase where nobody knew her but it made her famous and it just shows you how what a great businesswoman she is as well she knew that putting herself in that place would make her uh, or give her success a boost because she was in a place that, that was very trendy at the time uh, and uh, uh, it, it obviously was a massive springboard and it, it, it taught her how to react to a crowd that may be not being so nice there you go. That was awesome, Clive. Thank you so much for doing this, and uh, we'll see you soon, we hope. Thank you so much. There is Clive Farrington. Are we allowed to say he's from when in Rome? He can't, technically. He can't. I think we, we can. can. Yep. Let's face it. When in Rome is Clive Farrington. Yeah. And Farrington and Man. And Andrew Man. Yeah. There are the guys. Yeah. Wow. So, again, uh, if you're hearing this on Tuesday, you've got a couple of days still to uh, make sure you tune in to the virtual show that it will be raising money and awareness for suicide prevention. And the nice thing about these viral shows or these, what do you call them, virtual shows. Virtual shows, yeah. Is Hopefully if, it goes viral. If you miss it, you can watch it again. Yeah. Right? Because we've done that with uh, a couple of We Ain't Petty and Driven shows. Yeah. Even though the shows have already aired live, you can watch them. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that beautiful? It's a great way to yes. get the music out there. Exactly. So we want to thank Clive Farrington once again for joining us here on Sessions. And Tom... Always great chatting music with you. Oh, yeah. Yes. Maybe one day you can teach me how to make my guitar sound like it does when it's in your hands. <laughs> Cannot figure out why. I'll tell, you about, I'll tell you what. How about we go over the tapping solo and eruption? We'll start there. You know what? I will pay you money to teach me how to play eruption. Okay. Everybody, here we go. I got... How long do I have? A month? A month. And if, if I get it down, I will give you... The grand total of one dollar. American? Yes. Okay, you had a deal. Done. If it was Canadian, I'd say no way. <laughs> There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. Thank you so much for making us a part of your week. That's all the time we have for today's show. Until next time, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. I'm Casey Kasem. <laughs>